Church, we're glad you're here this morning. Um, it's great to have everyone, and we're, we're just excited to worship God today. Um, I want to read a psalm for you. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you have breath today? I hope you do. And I hope as, as we go through this, this worship set today, I, I, I hope that we all have in mind something to praise God for. Um, no matter what challenges we're facing, there's always something that He has done or is doing in our lives that we can praise Him for. We've got some different instruments up here today. We've had a lot of fun with this, and I hope, hope you enjoy it. Um, you know, obviously, the psalmist thought that we should use lots and lots of different instruments to praise God. Um, and, and we're going to sing a couple of songs that are a little bit older here first um, that you might enjoy. So I think you all should probably stand up, and um, that way you can tap your feet or clap along or whatever you feel like doing. Um, but here's a, here's a great thing for us to praise God for is that he has saved us from our sin, from, from death. He's given promise of eternal life, and uh, for that we can praise him. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his glory and kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. of things I want to bring to your attention. Uh, first of all, I want to remind you that today is the uh, Food Pantry Sunday, a special collection for the Urbandale Food Pantry. We just want to thank everybody who contributed to it. Those contributions are out there. Bob is going to be collecting them right after the service. So if you would be willing to help Bob tote some things to his vehicle, he'd sure appreciate that. But we're just grateful for your contributions and grateful for your participation. I know it's been a blessing to the people in Urbandale. It's a way we can give back to, to the community that we serve, and we're just grateful for that. I want to remind you that 
a week from Tuesday, May 6th or someday, May 6th, that's what day it is, but Jean has a birthday, Jean's going to be 99, Jean's uh, been attending our church for uh, several months and he's going to turn 99 on May 6th, so I encourage you to uh, show up for that. If you could participate and help out Alfonso on May 9th at 1 p.m. downtown Des Moines, he's going to be uh, sworn in as a citizen of the United States, so he's gone through that extensive process and we're just grateful, excited for him and thankful for that. This coming Wednesday is the last Awana night for the season, so I want to encourage you to come out and join the kids. All of the activities are going to center around Awanas that night, so all the Bible studies and prayer groups and stuff, everything's going to be geared towards Awana. Also, coming up on May 11th uh, is a Karen Akers fundraiser, and Creekside Church is going to have a booth there, and we're going to have a, church, a booth at the run, and Mike Johnson is in charge, so if you can see him. Also want to encourage you, if you would, if you have contributions you want to give to help financially with the cost of that, you can just write those checks out and put in uh, for the Karen Akers fundraiser. It's not We're not raising money, they're raising money, but we're just going to be there to encourage them and to let people know that we are here as a church. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take up the offering. So let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you that we can have fun. I thank you that the psalmist reminds us that with a number of musical instruments and with our voices, we are to praise and honor and glorify you. And I thank you that we can do just that. I thank you for each one who helps contribute to that. Those with the musical abilities can encourage and minister and bless uh, the rest of us who maybe aren't as musically inclined and that we can be an encouragement to them in other ways. I just thank you for the way the body of Christ works. I thank you for the many ministry opportunities that we have as a, as a church at Creekside just to be able to serve you and to honor you and to bring glory to you through our acts of service and our love for one another. I pray now, Father, that as we take up this offering that you would receive these gifts from cheerful hearts that you'd use these gifts for your glory. We ask you'd use them to advance the cause of Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. The psalmist also said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Thank you. Uh, put a th shout out to our praise and worship team this morning. Thank you for encouraging our hearts and souls uh, with a different flavor of music that God can use amazingly. I was at a, a pastor's retreat about a year ago, and we had a whole weekend of bluegrass worship not an oxymoron that's actually can happen so let's pray father there are more than 10,000 reasons to give you praise for our hearts to sing I just pray that uh, you would continue to meet us here this morning that we would worship in spirit and in truth I know that all of us who are part of leading sense and know our own inadequacy our own inability 
And I just ask for your Spirit's work powerfully to meet us here as we continue to worship through the study of your word. Ask that you would give us grace and strength to press through these texts and to apply them to our hearts and souls and minds. Again, I pray, Father, that you would not just inform us, but that you would transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During the beach evangelism training, that's what it was, beach evangelism, yes. I was sitting in the crowd and the guys were talking about their beach evangelism. The leader, the speaker, was sharing how he and his partner had gone out to the beach and they'd come upon these two beach brutes, I'll call them. You know, these just really big buff beach guys on the beach. And they approached him and the one guy said, the, the leader said, we, we're just going around talking to people. We'd like to know if you'd be interested in talking about spiritual things. To which the biggest, brawniest guy said, No. Leader turned to leave and thought, that's good. I didn't really want to talk to these guys anyway. Only to hear his friend say, do you want me to tell you why you don't want to talk about spiritual things? And then he said, because Jesus tells us in John 3.19 that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And your deeds are evil, so you don't want to talk about these things. Gulp. You know. That beach evangelism is one form of outrageous obedience. We live in a world in which our Christian faith is under assault. This is not just kind of a gentle stream that flows against our faith but it is a rising tide. It's a torrential raging river against Christianity. Christian faith in the world in which we live is marginalized. It's trivialized. And even our beliefs and our behaviors are now being criminalized in many cases around the world. And in the face of all of this, what are we going to do? Just cave in? Or are we going to stand firm and walk courageously. It's in this kind of an atmosphere that the, the Word of God calls believers to live with outrageous obedience. But what does that look like? Um, how are we going to be motivated to live that way? And what will be the result of it if we do live with outrageous obedience? Those are a few of the questions that I find answers to in the example of Noah. Last week, Bob brought us, I thought, wonderfully into the life of Mark and his meaningful service. And now we're going to look in Genesis chapters 6, verse 5 through chapter 9, verse 13, at Noah's outrageous obedience. And Noah's outrageous obedience and the answer, answers these questions that propel us into living outrageous obedience by providing us with the incentive 
and the encouragement for outrageous obedience. And so this morning we're going to look at three aspects of Noah's example, primarily in chapter 6 of Genesis, but including 7, 8, and 9, just a few verses there, that equip us and encourage us to live against the tide through outrageous obedience. So I'm going to read verses 5 through probably verse 18 of chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in Genesis chapter to Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And we read these words. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for, uh, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and the breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. And you shall make the window for the ark. And make a window for the ark, and finish it to a cubit from the top, and set a door of the ark in the side of it, and you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh which, in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And then you know the rest of the story. The first aspect of Noah and his obedience, this outrageous obedience, is that it, it, it is rooted in righteousness. Note the contrast between what God says of the world in verses 5 through 7. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How many more ways can you stack up adverbs that accentuate the corruption of man. Only evil continually always. You know, it's as, I mean, forever and ever. And, and then you get to Noah, verse 8. But Noah found favor with God. You see, the, the two facts that we need to consider, the corruption, the rebellion, uh, brings God's fury. The wickedness of man was great. Every intent, every intent, every intent of his thought, was wicked. It was prevalent, it was pervasive, and it was persistent. Perversion. I mean, this is like... It's not just... Yeah, they, they kind of made... They messed up. You know the descriptions we have now. Well, it was, a, it was an untrue... They don't even say untruth anymore. It was a falsehood. Like, well, or it was... We trivialize lying and deception. It really wasn't that bad. 
which is kind of a... But in Noah's day, the corruption was inescapable. It's not that they never did anything good. It's just that the bad was so horrendous that it was overweighing the good. I thought about this. If, if I had, and I was going to, but I didn't remember to bring a, a crystal clean glass, and then I had a cup of water from North Walnut Creek, and I poured the water into the glass, what would happen to the glass? It would become contaminated. Even with one drop of water, the glass would have been contaminated. That's our human heart. It's completely contaminated because one sin contaminates all of it. And they were completely corrupt. Sin that comes out of the heart contaminates the entire container. And we are sinful. The wickedness of our world, I would contend, matches, if not exceeds, the corruption of Noah's day. A mass murder in Sutherland, Texas. First Baptist Church of Sutherland, Texas was uh, the, the place where several people lost their lives. There's human trafficking that takes place all around this country and around the world where young boys and girls are sold into uh, a sex trade. It's horrendous and horrific. Former FBI Director James Comey admits to lying. We have examples of, well, you saw some of you maybe, Mark Zuckerberg was on there telling how he, uh, you know, basically, maybe not illegally, but probably unethically, sold our information, you know, or gave our information away. These are just the kinds of things that, that take place in an everyday thing. There's political corruption. There's dishonesty. There is a redefinition. Iowa, we are noted because we're the first to redefine marriage uh, by our state Supreme Court. And then now the United States Supreme Court has followed suit, so to speak, in redefining marriage. The corruption is there. It's present. It's prevalent. Back in 2016, Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill, Bill 1146, in California into law. And this bill basically gives the state of California control over what Christian organizations or religious organizations do on religious property. So that the state of California can tell a Christian college or whatever that you can no longer require a profession of faith in Jesus Christ to be an attendee of that college. You can no longer, if they decide to prohibit it, they can prohibit the use of the Bible or prayer in the classroom. They can prohibit you from requiring students to have a certain standard of conduct in their classrooms and on their campus. That was signed into law back in September 30th, 2016. And so we see uh, that utter depravity, as described here, what's the result of that from God's standpoint? What does it deserve? It deserves destruction. Verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 6. And the Lord was very sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will... Blot out man, whom I have created, from the face of the land, from the man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and I am sorry that I have made them. That's the result of it. That's the end of it. And so, first time, how was the corruption dealt with the first time? 
a flood. There's coming another day that God is going to blot out the corruption of mankind from the face of the earth. That's by fire. The first by flood, the second by fire. So we see here that rebellion receives God's fury. Secondly, righteousness because of God's favor brings God's favor. Now, I tried to pick my words carefully because the text is righteous, the righteousness because of God's favor brings God's favor. Notice verse 8. It says, but. When you see the word but, that contraction in the scriptures, pay attention. I need to pay attention because it's almost always to set up this stark contrast that is important. But Noah found favor with God. God's grace rested on Noah. Well, there are four ways that God's grace changed this guy. First of all, he possessed righteousness. It says in the next verse, he was a righteous man. Well, how was he a righteous man? He was a righteous man because in the midst, in the face of all the corruption that was around him, God's favor rested on him to bring him to a point where he would be justified by his faith in God and God's Redeemer that he didn't really know about, but we know who is the person Jesus Christ. So he was a righteous man, and it was his God's preparing, God's favor that rested upon him so that he would be justified by his faith. Just like Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. His belief in God was counted to him as righteousness. Now we're going to get there in a little bit, but if you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, we see that Noah's obedience was a step of faith whereby God counted him righteous. God had prepared his heart, and so he became righteous. Now, but the focus of this text is not his justification by faith. It's not the fact that focus on his merely being in right standing with God, but it was that he was, his right living was a result of his right standing with God. And that's true for every one of us. If, if we live rightly, it's only because we're in right standing with God. The just by faith shall live by faith. It's no other way. And then he practiced it. He possessed righteousness, and because he possessed righteousness, he was right before God. He practiced righteousness, which is also a gift from God, but it's those who are responding in obedience to him. His right living was the fruit of God's gracious work. And it was the foundation of his obedience. It was the fruit of, his, of his, God's work in his life, and it was the foundation of his uh, God's favor resting on him. Because he was righteous, he could live righteous. And because he lived righteous, God said, this man pleases me. Just like the father said of his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When God's people live God's ways, then God's favor is resting on them. And he loves them. Isaiah chapter 66, I think I quoted this last time, but in Isaiah 66 verses 1 and 2, thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house that you would build for me? Where is a place that I might rest? My hands made all these things. By my hand all these things came into being. But to this one will I look. Gets his attention. Who gets his attention? To him who is humble, contrite of spirit. Noah. 
question. I wonder, do, do I, do we exhibit the kind of integrity and moral purity in our business and our community that is a result of our right standing with God, that a right living with God brings him favor? God looked down, smile, and see us. Think of Bremerton High School coach Joe Kennedy back in 2015. He would uh, make his practice was he'd go out and pray with his boys at the end of the football game. He'd go to the center of the field and he would pray with his guys. Well, that was fine until somebody complained. Oh, he was, he was coercing them to do that. Not as a free citizen, but as a coach coercing them. I found it interesting. The argument is, if, if you take the Lord's name in vain, that's not coercing people against Christ. But if you are a, a teacher or a coach and you go pray, then that's coercing them to Jesus Christ. Seems a little bit contradictory to me, but then and I'm, I would stand and say it, but that's the way it is. That's the world of religion. But would I, would I risk my job? To stand up for Jesus, to live for Christ, to walk righteously. Is there consistency between my profession? You know, we went through First John. Does my life prove that I possess what I profess? As Noah's did. He possessed righteousness, he practiced righteousness, he pursued righteousness. The text says that Noah walked with God. You know, there's only two people in the Bible that have that accolade. Enoch and Noah. He walked with God. I could think of no better epitaph to have on your tombstone. He walked with God. She walked with God. It's communion with, with God, the Father, that translated into his obedience in his life that was important. You can look at chapter 5, verses 22 and 24. It talks about Enoch walked with God. McLaren, in his commentary, says, this communion is the foundation of all righteous conduct. When communion with God is pursued, that's love God first. When, when communion with God is pursued, it enables and inspires our obedience. Folks, when we love someone, we sacrifice for someone. We live for that person. We do God wants them to. Guys that are married and guys that will be married will sacrifice their time, their effort, their energy to make the house a home beyond what any most any guy would do normally for themselves. I mean, guys are pretty much like, yeah, well, it works. It's good. Uh, and it doesn't even have to work well. It just works. But no, 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 no. Uh, what do you want for the decor? I don't really care. You know, I've found that it doesn't matter what your table looks like, the food tastes the same. But for our wives, because we love our wives, we, we, we do things that we wouldn't do just for ourselves. If we love our Lord, if we love God, then we, we, we go beyond just what's convenient for us, and we, we sacrifice, we pursue Him, and we give. 
of our lives. And finally, he preached righteousness. Now, the preaching of righteousness is not in Genesis chapter 6. So I'm going to show you a slide in Gen- in Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 5. This is where I get the, the, the preaching of righteousness. And if he, God, did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So this is, he was a preacher of righteousness. See, Noah didn't catch the wave of corruption that was wafting through the culture. No, no. He was swimming against the tide and living a righteous life and preaching righteousness through his actions and his words. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And when we shine the light on the darkness through what we say and what we do, the world recoils. But Moses didn't, or Noah didn't stop there. And you see, God's grace received resulted in his right standing and spilled over into his right living. That's the grounds for his outrageous obedience. You see, the more we love God, the less we live like the world. Radical obedience. See, outrageous obedience is rooted in righteousness. Outrageous obedience is radical to the world. It's weird. The world says, I don't get it. I want to talk with you for a moment about three radical steps of outrageous obedience that Noah took. And his outrageous obedience, these three steps, serve, first of all, to showcase his saving faith. It's proof of his saving faith. They serve the purposes of God, and they set an example for us. Well, he built an ark. Now, I'm not asking you to be Jim Carrey and go out and build an ark, you know, uh, in your backyard, okay? But he built an ark. And there's two reasons that this is pretty far out there. First of all, the oddity of it. This is ludicrous. In his day, it had never rained before, probably. I mean, that's, I think it, they didn't need rain. God just kind of took care of things the way they were. It was kind of this greenhouse effect probably, and they didn't really have rain. So it, he built this thing on perfectly dry land for a rain that had never happened. And people are looking at him, scratching their head, thinking, this guy is, he is off his nut. You know, he is definitely three sandwiches short of a full picnic lunch. He's just not hitting on all cylinders. He's just, he's just lost it. He's a nutcase. We would have him on medication today. You know, he'd probably be locked up somewhere. But think about this. Okay, it'd be, I'm going to pick on Rod. Let's say Rod uh, bought 20 acres in northwest Iowa, where we come from, flat as a pancake, and he, and he developed it, and he was selling oceanfront property. There you go. Okay, well, it's not happening. I want you to look at a picture of the ark, the enormity of the ark. It's an odd thing, and then the enormity of the ark. It's not coming up, right? We're going to get a picture? Okay, you got it. All right, good. So, think about it. 450 feet long. 75 feet wide. It's a one and a half football fields long. Okay, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Based on a, an 18 inch cubit. Okay, if the cubit in the Bible is 18 inches, then that's what you get. It was impossible, probably, to capsize 
You know, no matter which way, it's just, it's just it's going to float. It just bobs up and down on the water. Now, how did he know that? He didn't, but God gave it to him. And it was large enough for Noah and his family and uh, certain scholars say that probably the animals probably only filled half the ark. Now we can get in all that debate. You say, well, how do they get all them Tyrannosaurus Rex and how do they get the big, you know, Stegosaurus and how do they get all them big things in there? And then, you know, you talk to Ken Ham. Say, well, they probably didn't take full-grown ones, you know. They, why not take the little ones, you know? And uh, they probably didn't have every kind of dog. They just had dogs. They had two, male and female, dog. You know, and then after, the, they got lots of dogs, okay? Uh, so it's an amazing thing. It was a different thing. It was a difficult thing. It was a daunting task, and yet he spent 120 years building this silly ark. Can you imagine? Oh, there goes that nutcase again. He's building an ark. It's going to rain. Yep. We're all going to die. It's going to flood. He's odd. Noah obeyed. This is the thing. He obeyed in faith. Because God said, do this, he did it. It was absolutely outrageous, absolutely outstanding, outlandish, crazy. But Noah did it. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world. Now get this. His life action actually served as a condemning thing to the world. And became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah believed God. Built an ark, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God had prepared his heart to justify him by faith, by belief in God. And his belief was manifest by building an ark. Faith is always active. Obedience is faith with feet on it. That does something with it. And this is the obedience to which God calls us. Consider some of the odd and enormous things that God calls us as believers to do. If you're married, God calls you to stay married. God calls us to love our enemies. Now, I want to go back. I realize that when I say God calls you to be married, some of you have no control over whether you stay married or not. I know that's not. But as much as you can do, that's what God calls us to do. And if that doesn't work out the first, second, or third time or whatever, if you're married now, that's what God calls you to do. Stay married. And God gives you the grace and wants and loves you and cares for you and wants you to do it because you know that's what's best for you. But some of you don't have control of that. I understand that. That's not out, that's outside of your control. When that's outside of your control, you can't do anything but do your part. God calls us to love our enemies, to give generously, to lay up store for ourselves treasures in heaven. But do we do that? It's like, well, we pass out this little pouch. We put money in the pouch, but do we see a return on our investment? Well, not right away, no, probably not. Abstinence before marriage. That's God's plan. That's an outlandish thing. I know I do premarital counseling. It's like, this is what God calls you to do. Well, why would he call us to do something stupid like that? Well, take it up with him. Don't take it up with me. But that's what God calls us to do. That's his plan. You build an ark. Okay? He calls us to protect human life. He calls us to practice honesty and integrity in our business. 
in our dealings with our fellow man and our family to love them. He calls husbands to love their wives and wives to respect and submit to their husbands. He calls us to forgiveness. There's one for you. I think I'd rather build an ark sometimes, you know. To forgive, to love, to encourage, to pray for people, to proclaim Jesus in the workplace, in my family, in my home, in my school, to stand up for Jesus. I don't care whether you're in Haiti, whether you're in Romania, whether you're in Africa, whether you're in Urbandale, whether you're in Martinsdale, whether you're in Avondale. We're supposed to proclaim Jesus through our life and our actions. He's the only way. The Son of Man came and died. Then he entered the ark. He built the ark and then he entered it. One thing to build it, quite another thing to get in it. <laughs> you know, I can build a monument. That's what Ken Ham did. You know, you go down to Cincinnati and see the monument. He didn't live there. But Noah and his family lived there. They got on the ark. They got in the ark. And then they, you think the ridicule was bad before he got on the ark. Wait till they got on the ark. Oh, yeah, where are you going, Noah? Have fun. See ya. What's this stuff called rain? Going to flood, huh? Okay, good luck with that. We're going to stay out here and grow crops and eat. He entered the ark. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and a female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and a female, and his female, also the birds of the sky, and blah, 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 and on and on and on. You're supposed to take these people in, take these animals in there. He did according to all that God commanded. Look at verse 5 of chapter 7. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And then look at verse 9. It says, There went into the ark first Noah, uh, by lot, Noah, by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. Then verse 16. He says again, and those that entered, male and female, and all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. All through it, just as God commanded, just as God commanded, just as God commanded. It's interesting, you see, you read the same thing in, of Moses. He did just as God commanded, just as God commanded. It wasn't an easy thing. How foolish did he look and feel when they were all mocking him and harassing him in the watching world? And I think, does the watching world harass and harangue us because of our outrageous obedience? Are we willing to be subject to it? I read, I read a tweet the other day about these teenagers, and they had a picture of these teenagers who had gone out to eat for uh, prior to prom, and they showed him praying at the restaurant before they went to prom. And oh boy, some reporter took the picture and sent it viral. Look at this, what a joke. These people are actually praying before they go to prom. Really? I don't know about you young people. Are you willing to stand up for Christ? Are you willing to pray? Now again, I'm not saying that you have to pray and bow your head every time you go out to a restaurant and eat. I mean, that's my practice, but it doesn't have to be your practice. But are you grateful and thankful enough to let people know? That's what I ask myself. 
I ask myself more, am I loving my wife, which I don't as I should. That's outrageous obedience. Children, are you honoring your parents? That's kind of a lost thing nowadays, right? Why is it that we expect that teenagers rebel? I don't know where that's in the Bible. Teenagers, honor your father and mother. My great-grandfather was 98 years old. I asked him, I said, Grandpa, why, why do you think you're still alive? Because as a good book says, if you honor your parents, he'll bless you with a long life. I guess he and my great-grandma took their parents in or something at some point in time and took care of them. They honored them. Do we do this? Outrageous obedience. Hey, give some money. Go help uh, Mike at the Karen Acres fundraiser. Bob Vaughn, he's looking for two willing souls to join him in his next trip to Haiti. Awana always need workers. Marge would love to have you come and help her with Camp Vera VBS. Well, yeah, but you know, it's summertime and all the trees and leaves and breeze and, you know. And know the end of the song? And nobody wants my love or something? Well, hey, there's a bunch of kids that would want your love. So go show them the love of Jesus. These are ways that we can be outrageous. And finally, he proclaimed righteousness. You know, he, he built the ark, he got on the ark, and then he proclaimed righteousness. I told you, showed you 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, but I want you to focus on the second part, three, chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 20. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went, now this is the tricky part, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. Now who went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison in the days of Noah? Christ. How did he do that? It's my conviction that he did it through Noah. The pre-incarnate Christ was proclaiming through Noah the message of salvation. Righteousness, that we need to have faith in God and faith in His Redeemer, His Son. And then he says, When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through. He proclaimed righteousness. During the construction of the ark, the Spirit of Christ, who died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, was making proclamation through the preaching of Noah. So he was proclaiming the message up until the time that the doors went shut. Well, now we're here. And God wants to use us. And the Spirit of Christ wants to speak through us, proclaiming to a lost and dying world the, that Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He wants to proclaim that message through us. That they can be saved too. They can be redeemed. Up until the day. Same deal. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not heard? They can't. 
they need to have a preacher. They don't need to have a preacher preacher. They just need to have a speaker preacher. All of us can be speaker preachers. We just have to speak the truth, the gospel. He proclaimed God's gracious invitation had an end point. You see, God is a loving God, and he wants all to turn and repent. But there comes a point in which the invitation ceases, but the invitation is there. God, until that day will be too late, God's servants proclaim righteousness. I like John the Baptist, man. He went, oh, Herod was married to his uh, brother's wife, and, uh, and John the Baptist says, you, my friend, have sinned. Uh, maybe he didn't say friend. He just said, you have sinned because you've taken your brother's wife. Now, John was not the king. Herod was the king, and Herod could off him. But interestingly enough, Herod didn't off him, but Herod's wife did. Roundabout. Okay. Am I that bold? Whew. You want, to tell, want me to tell you why you don't want to hear a conversation about spiritual things? I mean, that's not me. I mean, I would have been the guy walking away saying, good, that brute doesn't want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk to him about anything. I just want to get out of here before I get killed. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Eight souls were saved by being in the ark, just as we are saved by being in Christ. That's the rest of the passage. It didn't get to that, just as now baptism saves you, and then you know, people get all hung up on, well, okay, the baptism saves you. No, it's not the baptism saves you. It's the baptism is a picture of salvation that we are trusting in Christ. Just as we go down into the water and come up out of the water, it is our picture of our union by faith in the person, the work of Jesus, so that we are saved. And God wants us to declare it. Our obedient faith, words and works, proclaims the righteousness to a lost world. It's condemning them. That's why they don't want to hear it, but we have to share it with them because if we don't share it with them, if I don't call sin, sin, then people will live in their sin and they'll die in their sin. So I want to take no pleasure pointing out other people's sin, but I want to take responsibility for calling them to it. Outrageous obedience is rooted in righteousness. It's radical and finally it's rewarded. Look at chapter 7, verse 21. Chapter 7, verse 21. And all flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind and all that was on dry land and all those in whose nostrils was a breath of life, spirit of life, died. Ooh. I want to be a, a preacher of righteousness. I want you to be preachers of righteousness. I want us to be people who share with Jesus, people share Jesus with people so that they don't end up like this, all flesh perishing. We call them to repentance so they're not punished. Secondly, we see that God's, uh, God pursues his works. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided and also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky was restrained. God spared him and blessed him. He remembers the righteous. Now you're saying, well, I'm trying to live righteous and I don't feel very remembered right now. Well, you see... Psalm 34, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. 
But all through the scriptures, we have pictures and portraits and examples of people whose eyes were on Christ and they trusted in Christ, but it didn't always work out for them really well at the time. If we read the, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, these people, most of them died in faith having not received that for which they trusted. You know? Gained approval of their faith. Did not receive what was promised. That's, that's you know, he remembers us. And he rewards us. And he rewards us. That's chapter 9. And this goes along with what the verse we just read. And God blessed Noah and did and, and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. In verse 3, And every moving thing that is uh, alive shall be food for you. That's a Phil Robertson verse, I think. I gave all, uh, uh, all to you as I uh, have given the green plants. Okay? It's, it's there. God blessed them, and he took care of them. He rewards the righteous. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's prolonged. Sometimes it's out there. I got a friend who started this ministry, and, I mean, it just went gangbusters. You know, why did that happen? And other people start ministries, and they slug away. You think about William Carey and, uh, uh, um, you know, Taylor, Hudson Taylor. They serve years and years and years and years, and basically little, if any, fruit. God is faithful, and he'll fulfill his promises. That's Hebrews eleven thirty nine. You know, they, some died without seeing, seeing it. And then God remains committed to man's redemption. I like verses 11 through 13 of chapter 9. And I will establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off from the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign that I'll a covenant which I am making with you between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all Successive generations, I'll set my bow. That's what the rainbow is. Okay? It's God's promise. Promise of patience so that we can proclaim Jesus, so that people can come to faith in Christ, so that they won't be destroyed when God destroys the earth by fire. That's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, in case you're wondering. 9 and 10. Okay. Try not to make this stuff up. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's in there. But that's the deal. He's going he's gonna to do it. God remains committed. God restrains his wrath to use our righteousness to reach lost people. He restrains his wrath to use our righteousness to reach lost people. Like Noah, our outrageous obedience is a product, a product of God's love for us. It's God's favor on us, enables us to be righteous and then to live righteous. It's a product of it. Our outrageous obedience is a proof of our love for God. Those who love God obey God. That's John 14, 15. And outrageous obedience is a proclamation of God's love for a lost world. When we live righteously, we're declaring to the world that God is God and His Son Jesus is Savior. And we're calling them to repentance and faith so that they can be delivered from the punishment that will come to them if they don't turn and trust. Right living encourages them to repent so that they can live. And you know, there's no better example of outrageous obedience than the person of Jesus Christ. Because like Noah, he came proclaiming righteousness and providing a way of salvation. Just like Noah did with the ark. And so Noah, in a sense, is foreshadowing our Savior, the Lord Jesus. 
An outstanding example. The sinless Son of Man died to pay the price for the sins of rebellious men, called us to repentance and made a way if we would trust in Him. And interesting, Hebrews 5, verse 8 says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. In faith, we learn obedience through the things we suffered. And as we take the bread and cup today, we remember that Jesus is the example, even better than Noah, of outrageous obedience because he did the Father's will to the point of death and dying for you and me so that we could live if we would put our faith or our trust in Him. And so if you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus and His death and that alone is a payment for your sin, then I invite you to partake of the bread and the cup with joy and thanksgiving after a period of maybe reflecting and saying, oh, I realize that I don't deserve this, but you gave it to me anyway, and I'm so grateful for it. And, you know, some of you skeptics, you say, well, I don't know, you know, this outrageous obedience sounds pretty outlandish to me. Well, it is if you don't trust the person who's giving the command. I just want to challenge you to take a look at what God called people to do and then how it worked out. His faithfulness is proven. He's worth trusting. I'm going to pray and then we're going to celebrate the communion table. Father, thank you for Noah's example, which points me to Jesus as the ultimate example of outrageous obedience. And I ask that you would use his example, Father, in each of our lives to propel us to outrageous obedience because you have provided for us your salvation and righteousness so that we can live rightly. As we take this bread and this cup, may it be your spirit working in us to remind us of all that you've done for us and we would live for you out of your love for us in Jesus' name. Survey the